0: It was March thirteenth, March um, 1964. Kitty Genovese was on her way home after, uh, after a long shift working at the bar. Um, she lived in an apartment complex in the Bronx, New York City, and so she's on her way home, or like she's getting out of her car and on her way up, only to realize that someone is following her. Uh, a man, probably twice her age, with a hunting knife, approaches Kitty Genovese, um, stabs her twice. She starts to scream out, uh, Oh my God, oh my God, um, he stabbed me. Someone, it calls the attention of at least one person who walks to the balcony, and he yells, Leave that girl alone. So the... Uh, the um, the guy who stabbed her he, he runs away only to return ten minutes later ten minutes later he comes back. she still hasn 't been able to get to the front door of the apartment complex, and there is when he he finished the job he uh, he, he killed her and then uh, man just did some gruesome and heinous things to her. Finally, the police get there. Uh, In the span of the beginning of this, the police reports say, remember, it's 1964, the police reports say that uh, it was from beginning to end, about 30 minutes. You know what's interesting about the police reports? They had 28 eyewitness accounts. That means 28 people either heard, saw, or were there to experience this 30-minute prolonged, uh, just gruesome attack. We now know uh, psychologists and sociologists have used in this case to talk or to call what's called the bystander effect. 28 people saw, heard, uh, or somehow witnessed uh, this young girl be killed in New York City. Um, but didn't do anything, and the bystander effect says that if a crowd of people is watching something happen, um, they will not do anything until someone else does something, the bystander effect says every individual assumes that somebody else is going to do something about it, and by the group not doing anything about it, the group approves of what's happening, make sense? No one stood in, in the place of this young woman, over a 30-minute span of time, and this guy going and then coming back. I started to think about our nation, our country. I started to think about the political, uh, which we're never going to get out of this political feud, right? Like, it's just always going to be different people with different faces and different names and different things to fight about, but I started to think about that and the amount of finger pointing that goes on within our society toward one another. And you know, I think that our culture is just in a mode of the bystander effect. Somebody else is going to do something about it. Or we just point to someone else to do something about it. What if the church did something about it? Whatever it is, social injustice, uh, racism in our culture, you can't deny that it's there. Uh, what if Christians, not just the church, but Christians decided that we were going to stand up to things like abortion? Like we were just tired of it. But you know what? I, I, I think we're in a mode as a nation, we're in a mode of... Um, of a bystander effect well they'll they'll do something about it and maybe we'll pass some legislation that'll help and maybe that'll take care of everything we're going through this series called story uh if if you haven't gotten a copy of it you should get a copy of it it's taken about 80 percent of the bible it's putting it in a way of reading it as a novel as a narrative Maybe you've been reading the Bible, and you'll finish a story, or you'll finish a book of the Bible, and then you'll start a new one, and you'll pause and say, Man, why did it just go back 1,000 years? Right? You do that often? Okay. Well, it's because they didn't write it as one story, but our, our um, editors have done that for us, and so it's a great, helpful tool. Don't let this take the place of your Bible. Uh, your Bible is significant, but it's a helpful tool for us to all get on the same page. And so this week in the story, we come to a... Um, we come to a chapter called A Few Good Men and Women. If you don't have a copy of the story, you just want to follow us along in the book of Judges. Uh, If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will bring you a Bible. Um, You can follow along on the Restore Church app. You can download that for free. Or the YouVersion Bible app for free. You can follow along on the screens, um, but you can't take the screens home with you. And so if you're going to study God's Word, you need either a a device or, um, or a Bible yourself. Hey, I want to just catch everyone up on the same page where we are in the story. Uh, God created everything, and then Adam and Eve screwed it up, right? They invited sin into their life because they doubted that what God that God's plan was best plan. And so, you know, those sometimes you just get a golden, delicious apple, and you can't refuse it, right? So, can we really blame Eve? Yes, we can. Yes, we can blame Eve. And we will. And so, um, so then God's like, man, I'm, I'm going to make a covenant with Abraham. God comes to a 75-year-old man and says, I'm going to start my nation with you, Abraham. Well, it doesn't quite make sense because he's old and his wife is unable to have children. But at 100 years old, she has her first child, Isaac um isaac kind of the story of isaac plays out his wife's kind of in the same situation they get to late in in their life and they're like man i don't see this nation that god's talking about um abraham isaac jacob jacob and esau you know that whole how th- that whole thing plays out but jacob finally man we start to see some progress in this whole children as many as the stars in the sky thing right he has 12 kids that's normal in Jacksonville, so we wouldn't raise an eye at that, right? And then the twelve kid, and then those twelve children, be uh, become the twelve nations of Israel, and they start to um, really like flourish in the land of Israel until the famine hits. And um, at that time, though, Joseph rises to second in power of all of Egypt. And so it just works out the way that God lines it up that all the nation of Israel moves north of Egypt. And just when they think everything is going great, Pharaoh in Egypt, the, the Pharaoh in Egypt dies, a new Pharaoh takes place, who doesn't have any regard for Joseph, and they take Israel slave, uh, take Israel captive, and Israel becomes their slaves. God rises up this, this dude named Moses. Moses is a felon. He kills a guy in Egypt, he runs away, and then God comes to him later in his life, and he says, I want you to go in there and say, let my people go, you know. And, uh, and so he's like, no, I can't. I'm a felon, right? They want to kill me, and I don't speak well. And God's like, you know, I, I don't really care about that. Give me some more excuses that I might care about. I want you to go in, and then the ten plagues, you all have seen the movie uh, Prince of Egypt, And then uh, God lets the people go. They cross the Red Sea, um, and then they wander. Both Moses and the Israelite people are disobedient to God, and so they don't get to see the Promised Land. And then last week, uh, Patrick talked about Joshua Joshua and how God was with the people of Israel. He led through Joshua. He never let them go. But the people of Israel had a choice. And this is how Patrick ended his sermon. This is how Joshua finishes his last appeal to the Israelite people. He says this, And choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, We will serve the Lord. What's incredible about this relationship that we have with God is that we have a choice. You have a choice every day. Uh, when you wake up, if you're going to follow God today or not, right? I mean, at some point you have a choice whether you're going to be, be a Christian or not, whether Jesus will be your Lord and your Savior or not. Like, that's the whole point of this whole thing is that you, you have a choice to make. Then we get to Judges, and we see, if you read through the story, or if you've ever read through Judges, you know that they take this uh, choice thing serious. We'll talk about that more. Why is the book of Judges important to us? See, here's what happens when you get through your read the Bible in a year plan. If you get through Leviticus, which, who does that? Um, and you get through Deuteronomy, you're like, man, I'm just so worn out with the first five books. I'm just going to go straight to Matthew. I want to read about Jesus, right? And so then we skip all of it, but, but you can't. You can't. And here's why Josh, the book of Judges is so important to us is because the nation of Israel— and right now, this is not a political sermon by any means, um, but right now, the United States, our culture is not very different than the Israelite culture that we're going to read about. I mean, we will follow any God that comes in front of us that looks good, that uh, feels good, um, that, gives, that, that propels us, and some of them are really, really good, right? Right? like a promise of a good career um and that that will be our god really quickly maybe maybe it's a relationship and that will become our god or maybe it's it's finding uh those little hits of endorphins on social media and really quickly social media becomes our god we're not that much different than the israelite people i want to show you something Um, this is if you were to go back and read through um, the book of Judges, this is what you'll see. Um, Israel as a nation serves the Lord. Right there, uh, yeah, you might have to squint on this one, but uh, so am I. So we're in the same page here. Uh, Israel serves the Lord, um, and then Israel falls into sin and adultery. Remember the Ten Commandments, the very first one there should be no other gods before me, and Israel screwed that up like before the, before the Ten Commandments even got down the mountain, remember? piece of trivia for you. Who's the only person in the Bible to break all Ten Commandments at one time? It was Moses. Remember, he got down to the bottom of the mountain, got so mad, and he broke them? Okay. All right. <laughs> Israel falls into sin uh, and adultery, and then they're enslaved by a nation around them. That was really funny. Uh, <laughs> you see how it's going. Then Israel gets enslaved by a nation that's, that's around them, the Midianites, uh, Malachites, Amorites, some other ites. Then they're like, all right, finally, okay, maybe God can help. Then they cry out to God. God brings up a judge, and uh, that's what the whole book of Judges is about. The judge brings Israel back around, puts their focus on God. Israel's delivered. They go back to serving the Lord, and then eventually grow content in their relationship or let their their guard down, and they go back. And, man, the book of Judges is just a continual cycle. Um, that keeps breaking God's heart. You know, I, I could probably replace the name Israel with the name Roger. And this would still make sense. Uh, Roger falls into sin. Roger's enslaved by his sin. Roger cries out to the Lord. God lifts him up delivered roger serves the lord and it's like this is awesome this is what it's supposed to look like then roger falls into sin anybody else not just me okay all right all right here's what uh here's what we know and we'll get into the text of judges and we'll prove this to be true here's what we know through all of this god is faithful at every point in this cycle whether, whether you're just looking at it as Israel, or whether you've put your name in there, at every point of this, God is faithful. God, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you've not left us as orphans, but you've given us the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, God, today we pray that that Holy Spirit gives us power and strength, that it convicts us and encourages us. And, God, we pray that he is present now pray all these things in the name of of precious name of Jesus amen all right open up your Bible to Judges uh you're gonna go ahead and skip to Judges chapter 6 but I'm gonna bring you up to where the story uh gets us the story actually opens up with I don't know why anyone hasn't made a movie of this but a new a dude named Judge or a dude named Ehud can you pull that uh cycle up real quick um one of these should say so um during this time that Israel serves the Lord, what, I, what should be here is actually Israel serves the Lord and experiences peace. When they raise up a judge, the judge delivers Israel, usually through war, and then Israel sees peace for a while. For as long as Israel, check this out, in the book of Judges, for as long as Israel serves God, there is peace. And so, this dude named Ehud If you're a movie-making type or you want to write a novel or something like that, dude, check this guy out. Ehud is a left-handed assassin. And uh, this is a a great story. you got to read it Actually, just make a movie about judges, but just do a good job. Not like some of those Christian movies, you know, it's just bad. Anyway, he walks in, and he assassinates this dude while he's on the throne or the office or he's going to the bathroom. And he's this is what's this is what's cool about the story is uh, the Bible is so clear about this part. It's very vague in other parts, but it's very clear at this part. He walks in, he's left-handed, so they don't they don't know that there's a sword on him. He stabs the king, right? And the king is so fat that he cannot pull the sword back out. And so he runs out away from it and, and gets away with it. So Ehud, the left-handed assassin, he's a judge for Israel. And um And then Israel experienced 80 years of peace. The story introduced us to another judge, and her name is Deborah. Deborah was an unexpected leader. No one really saw it coming. Uh, As you're reading, you're just like, man, you read a story about men heroes, and then all of a sudden, Deborah inserts herself. Well, God raises up a woman leader. Listen, we talk a lot about men here. Uh, we think that, and I, I think that the spiritual decline in our nation also has to do with the spiritual decline of men in our nation. Their just lack of desire uh, to lead families, and so I'm thankful for the men here who have who've taken that on. As much as we talk about that, women, you got to hear this. You are not plan B, okay? You are not just like some second class, second tier. If a man doesn't lead, then you can step up. Look, you have such a significant role in the kingdom of God and more than the nursery and potlucks. If you're here at Restore and and you feel that way, look, we're not trying to do that. Uh, As a matter of fact, we want to lift you up and make ways for the women in the kingdom of God. Dudes, can we applaud that? yeah okay i was expecting like some whoo whoo hoo, but you know all right and deborah uh go back and read deborah and uh use that so anyway that that is a soapbox that i'm not gonna stand on today but at some point i will stand on that you have room in the kingdom of God, and you're important. So, uh, but now let's talk about a dude. <laughs> Gideon uh, is where we are. Uh, if you're in the story, it's going to be start on page 107, uh, but I'm going to read from the Bible. Um, so it's in Judges, starting in chapter 6. And here's where we find Israel. Chapter 6, verse 1 Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, um, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and they ruined the crops. All the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. You see how that cycle is playing through. Man, So before we start blaming them and calling them cowards for hiding from the Midianites, they don't have food, so they don't have strength to fight. They don't have weapons because every time they come through, they uh, they will take the weapons. And sometimes we even see that they'll take all the tools of the blacksmith so they can't make weapons. And so they're terrified. But before we start to talk about how terrified they are and call them cowards, dude, this is what we do with our sin. Like our sin does this to us. It enslaves us, and honestly, there are some times that it causes us to cower away from what God is calling us to be as Christians, right? Yeah. And so, here they are. You saw that last part of verse 6 where it said, so they, they get in this cycle of sin, they rebel against God, um, they cry out for help, in ver- or they're, they're enslaved, and then they cry out for help. Um, we're going to read just a few more. Sometimes in the story, in this book, right? I told you that sometimes they omit some, some passages just to help us read the story a little bit more clear. But then they'll give us a, 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 a paragraph where they paraphrase the in-between. And I want to read the top of page 108 for you. And this is how we're introduced to Gideon in the story. I really, I really like this. It says this, in their hunger and weakness. So this is not inspired. Word of God, what I'm reading, but it's a paraphrase. In their hunger and weakness, the Israelites appealed to God who informed them that their big problem was not agricultural or military, but it was spiritual. To illustrate, God picked for service a farmer from the weakest clan in the tribe. Like most new leaders, Gideon was uncertain if he could measure up, but God was looking for for a faithful follower, not a decorated soldier. I love that last part. It says, but God is looking for a faithful follower and not a decorated soldier. Look, sometimes in the church, like, so we look at the minister or the preacher or the pastor or whatever, and we say, man, I, I just I couldn't do that. Right? Like, I can't. Do ministry. I, I can't tell people about Jesus. I can't pray with people. I, I can't do really anything significant spiritually because I, man, I haven't been to Bible college. Uh, I haven't gone through this class or, 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 or whatever. And honestly, as we're going to see here in a few minutes, I don't think God gives a rip about my college degrees. I don't think God cares if you went to Bible college or if I went to Bible college. He's not looking for how many degrees you have on the wall. What's God looking for? He's looking for faithful followers of Jesus. Man, I hope that's you. I think God does too. And so pick up again here in uh, chapter 6, verse 12. Um, Put that there. Chapter 6, verse 12, uh, it says this. Um find it. Oh, little twelve, there we go. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? So you gotta remember, Gideon wasn't there. He's only heard about it. But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the land of into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, "Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you?" But Lord Gideon asked, "How can I save Israel? Check it. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family." The Lord answered, "I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites." Um He's the weakest in his clan. His family's the smallest. And then he says, and I'm the weakest one in my family. And you hear all of the things that Gideon says about himself. But what does God call Gideon? Can we go back to the verse, first verse in that, verse 12? When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Man, I, I love reading through the Bible and picking out the leaders that God chooses. It's like God doesn't choose the one who's the biggest, tallest, and a head above the rest is what they call about, is what they say about Saul. But he chooses the least, the weakest. He chooses, he chooses the weak, the powerless, the poor. He chooses the old the young. He chooses the failures in the room. He chooses those the ignorant, the people who just don't know the Bible. That's who God uses. He uses a new believer. God can use your dead faith. God can use sinners to change the world. And we're going to look at this a little bit more but see, like, when you read through, you read, like, about David who uh, is in the farm when God calls him, right? And, and even, even David's dad, Jesse, like, didn't even call him in when Samuel came to anoint a new, uh, a new king. Like, he brings in the si- his other six sons. He's like, we're not going to waste time with David. But it's God who chose David. How about Peter, who's just a fisherman? He's dirty, he's stinky, he sticks his stinky foot in his mouth more often than he more often than not? He wasn't the smartest, probably was a dropout in school. And God uses Peter to preach the very first gospel sermon ever preached in the Bible. How about Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians? Like, "My dude killed us." Imagine that. A guy who was ready to kill us, and then the next week he's standing in front of them preaching the gospel. What about Rahab? She was a lying prostitute, and God used her to save the whole nation of Israel. What about Noah, who was a drunk and a crazy dude? God's like, I want you to build a boat, and I want you to save mankind. What about Abraham? He was 100 years old before he had had Isaac. What about Jacob? He was a liar and a deceiver. What about Joseph, who was a prisoner? I want you to hear this. God wants to use you to do something significant. So the first thing we learn about Gideon is that God uses the unlikely. And you might be sitting there thinking, like, here's why God can't use me. Go ahead and think for a second. Why can't God use you? Your profession? Your past? Your age? Old or young? Your gender? Now, I want you to consider this. That's exactly why God can use you. The same things you just listed in your mind of why God couldn't use you, is exactly why God can use you. Uh, man, I love this about Scripture. It's because, yeah, they've stopped writing the Bible, but I think man, I think I look around the room and I see people who could be listed in here, like as spiritual, mighty warriors. All right, so time passes. Uh, Midian, uh, time passes. We heard about those Pesky Midianites, right? Uh, well, they team up with another group called the Amalekites. Man, at some point, all of the ites just run together, but, you know, whatever. So, the Midianites, Amalekites, and then it just says the nations from the east. Whoever wrote Judges just got tired of writing, and then they said uh, um, the nations from the east. They're like, man, let's go ahead and just take care of Israel. Like, Let's go in. We need to get some food. We need to get some slaves. We need to get some weapons. It's about time for us. They've experienced some time of peace. Let's go back through and take what's ours. And then God's like, all right. <laughs> He's like, you want to come mess with my people? Uh, you got to mess with me. And I love that. And so God, I wrote in my notes, God says, I wrote, let's go, God. <laughs> God's like, let's, let's do it. So here you are. You're the, nation, you're the leader of the nation of Israel. You got like five million people, and you're ready to go to war. Your best plan is to get your best soldiers and your biggest group of people because we're going to fight this war, and we're going to win it, right? Like, let's get it. Let's go. Let's, I don't know, UFC this thing, Marine Corps it. I don't know. Oh, man, that was like too much. That was, like, too much of the, like, okay, my bad, sorry. Um, but here's, here's, here's God's plan. Go ahead and flip over to uh, Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7, and this is what God's word says. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. And Gideon's like, what? <laughs> this, this is not the plan. You've got too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. That doesn't make sense, God. Have you ever seen war? Right? Like, we need as many men as we can uh, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. And so 22,000 men left with only 10,000 remaining. My dude just lost two-thirds of his army. He was looking at 22,000 people and 10,000 people left. And I imagine Gideon, this is what I would do, and be like, God, this is the wrong plan. Like, I want to leave with the 22,000 people. But God's like, I don't want scared people. Like, you're going to fight for me or you're going to fight for me? So Gideon literally has the 10,000 crazy people, right, who are just like, I'm going to fight, I'm going to fight. I don't care what happens. And so, um, but then the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. He says, take them down to the water, and I will sift them uh, for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one should not go with you, he shall not go. And so Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lapped the water with their tongues like a dog, and those who kneel down to drink. And so 300 men lapped with their hands uh, to their mouth, and the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. This, like, God, what are you doing? You ever ever ask that? God, I don't get what's happening. What's happening in my life right now doesn't make much sense. You asked me to follow you. I became a Christian, right? And what this life looks like is not what I f- is not how this is supposed to be going. Gideon's like, man, I'm about to go into war. You're supposed to be bringing people to me, at least animals like you did for Noah, right? <laughs> but you're sending everybody home, and now I only have 300 people. So before you go home and watch the movie 300, just remember God did it first, okay? <laughs> it's like now, now I only have 300 people. But this is what God does. God finds unlikely people and he uses unlikely people in unlikely ways. I mean, think about this kid. He comes up to war and and all of Israel's terrified and the leader is like so scared and he's got his he he doesn't even have his armor on and this kid is just bringing his brother's lunch and uh and then he hears this giant in a field cursing God and this kid is just so irate he's like if none of y'all are going to do anything about it I'll do something about it and then the king's like all right here's my armor put it on go fight and this kid's like nah, dog, take this off of me. I got a slingshot and some slick stones, and I'm going to go down here and slay this giant. You see, God uses unlikely people to do unlikely things, right? Unlikely circumstances. Um, he takes this people of 300 to fight against three or more nations, and it's like, Here's what I want you to do is add to that list of why God can't use you. Like, right, you, you got your past and all this other stuff. You got your list of flaws. Now come up with the circumstances of why God can't use you. Well, I, I, I can't really start a Bible study at work because I might, you know, get fired or, or uh, I, I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. What happens when or what happens if? You got that list? Uh, I mean, look, I I could probably come up with this huge list, but we know that where it's leading is it's just going to amount to nothing. So God, why does God ask them to bring down, or why does God make Gideon bring the number down? It's at the very beginning of this. He says, I'm going to bring this number down to 300. Because the only way that 300 people are going to win a battle against three or more nations is if I do it. And I, he does this for, for his glory. I'm going to give you this last part before we get into it. God uses unlikely people in unlikely ways for unlikely outcomes. Um, so let's read how the rest of the story plays out. Joshua or Judges chapter 7, um, beginning in verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream, all right, so Gideon goes, Chase, <laughs> that's so weird. A few of the people go down and check out, the, check out the land, and there's two people talking, and one dude's like, dude, I had the weirdest dream last night. There was this huge dinner roll that rolled through our, rolled, through, <laughs> um, rolled through our camp and took everyone out. And the other guy was like, dude, that means God bless Gideon to come down and wipe us out. It's like, how did you get that from a yeast roll? like rolling through, but Gideon's like, oh yeah, that is what that means, and so here we are, verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. Maybe he was worshiping God because he's like, oh, it is a possibility to have just a huge roll. I would worship God if I had a huge just like piece of bread. (laughs) Only from O'Charlie's. You guys remember O'Charlie's? It closed down. You guys remember how good those rolls were? Man, I used to go there for my birthday, and that's all I would eat was the rolls on my birthday. True story. Okay. He returned to the camp of Israel, and he cried out, Get up, because the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed the trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. That's a great plan. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead, and when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. (laughs) Let's go ahead and make our army small. Then let's divide up into three camps. You hundred go over there. You hundred go over there. Then they're like, all right, what about my sword? Nope. Um, Just get that jar of fire right? And well, what about like a shield? No, 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 just take a trumpet. And here's what I want you to do. Just watch me and do what I do. And then after we do it, just yell for the Lord and for Gideon. Like even the crazy people now are like, oh man, I wish I would just stuck my face in the water, right? So that happens. They, they get around all of Israel or all of Midian. They wait to watch Gideon. And then Gideon smashes this fire, blows the trumpet. Then they all smash the fire, blow the trumpet. They shout, for God and for Gideon. And then what's crazy, the Bible says, is God God allowed the Midianites to pick up their sword and turn on each other. They're so confused and so scared about what's happening that they turn on each other. They start to kill one another. And God's people win the war. Now, there is a little fighting and battle and action that has to happen a few verses later. But it's, there's like out of nowhere, right? God uses unlikely people in unlikely ways for unlikely outcomes. Like, I'm so glad that God does that. If I told you, if I gave you a list of personality traits of the six families who moved here to start a church, you'd be like, there's no way this would happen. There's no way a church, and we're going to have our first birthday. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But here's here's what happens. Come up with your list of flaws. Come up with your list of circumstances of why God can't use you. Come up with your list of outcomes that you think might happen because of them, and God's just going to call them excuses of why you can't be faithful to what he's trying to ask you to do. Right? The result of Gideon, we find in, in Judges chapter 8, verse 28, is that they experience peace. And here's what I wrote this this morning, and I wish I would have thought about this earlier because these would have been better for this, but this is, what, this is what the Holy Spirit hit me with here. Is God's people use God's presence and God's power to experience God's peace. If you're going to tweet anything, that's it, all right? But God's people, like faithful people like Gideon, who rely on God's power to bring down, or to rely on God's presence for God to say, look, you are the mighty warrior. I want you to lead this. And they, they rely on God's presence. And then to win a battle with 300 people only can come down to God's power. And then they experience God's peace. I want you to hear this. I don't care who you are, where you come from, how long you've been in Jacksonville? How long you've been here at Restore Church? God can and wants to use you. And how awesome, like how incredible would it be to be used by God Almighty? God wants to use you with, your, with all of your imperfections. God wants to use you with your past. God wants to use you with your difficult circumstances. God wants to use you with all of the reasons why you said you can't be used from God. Listen, this is why volunteers, like people who don't get paid, like Lanisi, can turn the homeless population in Jacksonville upside down because she just said, God has given me the same power, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, I have that, she says, so I'm going to go start a homeless ministry. She gave up her teaching job for no money at all, man, to change a city. This is why stay-at-home moms, you guys have such an opportunity to change your neighborhood for the love of Jesus. This is why shift workers, you guys can start a Bible study at lunch and while people are miserable, you can turn their work day around. This is why teachers, man, you guys can care for students unlike anybody else can. After all, you're with them for most of the day, more than their parents are. Students, this is why you can start praying with and for your classmates. Look, this is, this is, what's, this is what's awesome. I love this. You guys are going to hear so much about Acts, the book of Acts, in the next, like, six weeks. You're going to throw up the book of Acts, which would be impressive. But, um... Look, Jesus is Jesus is about to sin in heaven, and he's got uh, fishermen, tax collectors who work for Rome. He's got a group. He's got another dude who just hates Rome and will, wants to fight everyone who's from Rome. He's got this group of. He's got uh, this group of people who don't belong together. Look around the room. There's really no reason for this group of people to be together. Right? Like, we're all not going to be together in the same room for any other reason except for Jesus. So he gets this, these, these 12, well, 11, and he's about to send into heaven. The disciples ask him, uh, Jesus, are you at this time going to restore Israel? Like, are you going to bring power back to this nation? You know what Jesus says to the disciples? He says, I want you to sit here, and I want you to wait for the power that's going to come on you. It says, and then when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Now, these are 11 people. They've never taken a Bible college class in their life. Most of them are, uh, four of them are fishermen, right? Like, actually, the book of Acts calls them unschooled, ordinary men. You know what the book of Acts also says? It says, these men turned the world upside down. Just people like you and me who love God, love people, and want to see our world flipped upside down. Man, I, I'm excited to hear about stories of, of people you're praying with and people you're loving because you decide you're going to let God use someone from the weakest family and the weakest class to change your environment. Uh, we're going to ask you over the next few weeks. This is this kind of it. We're going to ask you over the next few weeks to take on a different role in your spiritual life. Okay. Uh, I didn't plan on saying this, so I don't know how this can come out, but this is what we're going to do. Um. What if you decided right now that you are going to be the chaplain of where you work, where you live? and where you play so golfing or fishing or whatever club but what if you were to decide man i'm gonna care for people wherever i go really like there's no other place for you to go besides those three so it's like i'm gonna go to work and instead of complaining about my environment or the people around me i'm gonna be the chaplain here man I, i'm i'm sorry that your marriage is, is struggling can i pray with you can we can we talk at lunch um man I, i've got this great verse and and i want to i want to share it with you and then like all right you got off work and, and now you're headed home and instead of like going in and plopping down on the couch and it's like all right everyone i've my presence is here uh what if you were to walk in and put your guys put your arm around your wife and say man, how how is how is your day um and check on her heart, not her schedule. Right, and you were to say, "Look, you know, b- before bed tonight, let's 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 pray about those things." Or, or, and then instead of like, and then instead of just like correcting your children's behavior, which is what we do when we're tired, right? Like, stop doing that. Stop. Why don't you like get down with them and, and check on their heart? Like, your kids are just as frustrated as you are. Right, they've had just as tough a day as you are. Sometimes those connect pieces just don't go together. And what if they could come to you and say and 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 their heart's breaking and they can come and talk to you about it? Pray with you about it. And then when you go to blow off steam, right? You go to golf and you're golfing with someone or you're fishing. And those people, man, you, you have a spiritual experience. Here's, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Oh, this is good. Here's what's going to happen. There's going to be 150 people from Restore Church who says, I'm going to be the chaplain of where I work, live, and play. And Jacksonville as a city will change. Because your work environment will change. And in your home, divorce is not an option. Because your love for one another is just bursting at the seams. Your kids will be contributors to society, and they will care for the people around you. If you start to care for your children, your children will start to care for their friends at school. Right? And then even where you go to play. Jacksonville as a city can change because we're faithful to God because he's faithful to us. I'm glad I didn't write that down. That's good. God, we love you. Uh, We thank you for your presence.